welcome to Mystery Books Podcast, where you'll discover new mystery books and authors. I'm USA Today bestselling mystery author Sarah Rosette. I'm also a bookworm who specializes in the mystery genre. I love sharing my favorite mystery discoveries, from classic golden age novels to contemporary cozies. This is a bonus episode, and it's all about my Christmas mystery, Murder on a Midnight Clear. So Murder on a Midnight Clear was published this week, and it's the sixth book in the High Society Lady Detective series. Now, um, if you've been listening for a while, you realize that I am breaking my own rule about always doing the first book in a series. And honestly, I am finding that rule rather confining because I think of books and I'm like, oh, I want to talk about this one. But I have not done the first book in the series. So I feel like it's um, that's going to be a rule that's going to be broken. Um, there are so many good books that are later in the series, and I can't always go back and do the first book in the series because then I'll never get to the new books. But I do promise, as always, no spoilers. So whether I talk about the first book or a book later on, there will be no spoilers. All right, on to the blurb. A snowbound country mansion, a missing butler, and a Christmas case. Olive and Jasper have never been closer, except in one area— Jasper is still reticent about his frequent disappearances from polite society. With the holidays approaching and no paying client on the books, Olive decides to shadow Jasper when he's unexpectedly called away. Her search brings her to Holly Hill Lodge, where an eccentric group has gathered to celebrate an old-fashioned English Christmas. When the butler goes missing, Olive and Jasper must work together to solve the Christmas crime, as well as the secret Jasper hides. So the first line of this book is, despite the gray clouds hanging low over London, the city sparkled with Christmas cheer. Now, some fun facts and the story behind the story about this book is um, um, the main thing about this book is that I always knew it would be a Christmas book. As I'm going through the series, we're progressing through the year, pretty much a book each month. So uh, the previous book, book five, took place in November-ish. So I knew that this book would be in December, and I really wanted to write a Christmas mystery. I'd written other Christmas mysteries set in my contemporary series, um, but this one I wanted to do a historical. And um, I like the idea of writing the you know old-fashioned English Christmas and including all the old-fashioned English Christmassy things. So I knew it would be set in December. And the spark that set this story off actually happened at the end of book five, which is that's how this series is going. As I'm finishing up one book, I'm usually kind of coming around to the idea of what Olive could investigate next. And I didn't really have an idea until I got to the last scene in book five, where she is realizing she really doesn't know a whole lot about Jasper. It's kind of coming home to her that he's not revealing a lot about himself. And um, so she wants to know about more, more about what he does. She's not one to sit around and wait for things. So she begins a little investigation of her own into what he's been doing. And so that was the beginning. And I thought, what if he goes to a country house where there's an old-fashioned English Christmas celebration in progress? And of course, Olive will follow him there. And they will be snowed in. And there will be a death that they will have to solve uh, while they're there. You know, no one can get there to investigate it. It will be up to them to solve the case. The other thing that comes to mind when I think about this book is that um, I went on a research trip to London in March of 2020. So after reading that opening line, that brought that back to mind. 
uh, the story opens, Olive is on her way to Harrods to meet her cousin Gwen for tea. And it just makes me think of when we were in London walking around, we went to Harrods. We did all kinds of fun things there. We um, went to Mayfair, walked around. We went to afternoon tea. We went to a play. Uh, we went to some London townhomes. No country estates, though, sadly, because it was too early in the year for most of them to be open. Um, and then when we were in the middle of this, this was like the last week of February, the first week of March, the news came out about COVID-19 and um, Italy locked down and we thought, okay, we've got to go home. So we left early. We actually cut the visit short and came home and then the whole world basically locked down. So that will always be linked in my mind. But I did get to have a really good visit and see a lot of London that um, I was able to use in this story. What I found out is that there are a lot of places, the places to be, the the um, townhomes, the um, shops and stores, and the restaurants and the places that Olive would have gone to, a lot of those don't exist anymore. Or if they were, you know, a beautiful townhome, they've been torn down and a building has been built there like a hotel, or they've been turned into like something like an embassy. A lot of my research had to um, happen in books and online as I looked at old photographs, but um, it was great to walk around London and get just the sense of what it feels like to be there and the sense of space and um, kind of the layout of the city. The major landmarks, you know, have not changed. Buckingham Palace, still there. And all those things that, you know, have endured and the streets and the parks and all that, that's all the same. So that was really good. And it was, I, I can't remember, I think it's like the third time I've been to London. So it was good to go while I was in the middle of thinking about these books and thinking about London from a historical perspective, because I've always written about it from a contemporary perspective. So that was really helpful for me for writing this book. All right, on to themes. So of course, the major theme in this one is Christmas. And I put everything Christmassy into it that I could think of. Carols and Christmas cards and gifts and Yule log and decorating the tree and all the Christmas foods. I just tried to include all of that and I incorporated many parts of that into the mystery itself. So uh, so related to that would be another theme would be secrets and ciphers. But I can't tell you any more about that because that would be a spoiler. So moving right along to tropes. So, of course, the major trope in this one is being snowbound. They're trapped at this country manor. This is a very common um, trope for uh cozy mysteries, historical mysteries, contemporary mysteries even, you're trapped, your characters are trapped in this little world. And, um, you know, for me, I use snow, but you can use other things, uh, weather, accidents that, you know, block the roads, things like that. So they're stuck there. And if a death happens, then of course, you've got a sleuth who's proactive and she's going to figure out what happened. She's not going to wait around for the police to show up. Another related trope would be that the people who are at this country mansion are sort of an eclectic, eclectic mix. Now, one way to do this trope is to have all of your suspects um, isolated at this location, and it's a family. That's very common. Agatha Christie used that a lot. So it would have, you know, these families that live together in these country homes, and it would be various branches of the family lived there. So I didn't do that. I had, I wanted to have all kinds of different people there. And so my um, 
conceit for this was that the woman who is the lady of the manor, she um, loves to take people under her wing. And there's several people that she thinks, oh, they just need, they don't have anywhere to go this Christmas and they need to experience a good old fashioned English Christmas. So she, she has an aunt who she invites, but then almost everyone else who comes is not related to her. I just really had fun bringing together all these kind of interesting different types of people and personalities. Uh, just to run through them quickly, we have a scientist who's studying snowflakes, and that was inspired by a real person. Um, I included some famous lawn tennis champions, a persuasive luggage salesman, and that was fascinating, researching the luggage of the 1920s. That was like a rabbit hole that I went down for probably far longer than I should have. But it was just interesting because to look at how luggage has changed, you know, in the turn of the century, they were still using these humongous trunks that were almost as big as like a wardrobe. And as travel changed, their luggage changed as well. They needed smaller cases that they could carry. As air travel became more popular, people didn't want to carry around these humongous trunks and they couldn't. So these aeroplane cases became the thing that people wanted, smaller, lighter. They could handle them themselves. They didn't have to get a porter. Um, so of course I was like, let's have a luggage salesman. He's an American. He's traveling around England trying to sell people his aeroplane cases. He has a prototype. And um, because he was an American, I got to include all kinds of American slang from the 20s, which is very different from British slang. So he would say things like, let me put you wise. So that was fun to include all that. And then we also had a, a famous lady explorer and the eccentric aunt who has a lot of fondness for uh, newfangled drinks like cocktails. And she doesn't always choose the correct word when she's speaking. She mixes up her words easily. So that's, you know, a little, provides a little humor in the book. And I have to say, this was a really fun group. And I really enjoyed writing this book. Um, I enjoyed the characters. That, um, I may have to bring some of them back in other books in the future. All right, a quote to end with. This is the lady explorer who realizes that Olive and Jasper are keeping something from everyone else uh, about the disappearance of the butler. And so the lady explorer, her name is Blix, and she says, I'm quite fond of a jolly little Christmas mystery. And I would have to agree. I am very fond of a jolly little Christmas mystery. So that leads us to the question that I would love to know your answer to. What is your favorite Christmas mystery? I would love to know. You can tag me on social media. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, mostly on Instagram. And um, this post will have a um, blog post on my website, so you can comment there as well. Um, before I go, I'm going to give you a quick sample from the audiobook read by the wonderful Elizabeth Clett. You do have a case. Only one of my own making. Gwen selected the smoked salmon and tilted her head. What does that mean? Well, it's something that I'm curious about, so I'm looking into it. Gwen paused, the sandwich suspended in midair. You're not still chasing about after Jasper, are you? It was no use dissembling to someone you had known since you were in a pram. Yes, in fact I am. Gwen placed her sandwich on her plate with great care. I don't think it's a good idea following Jasper. I'm sure he's just doing his normal things. What do you mean? Oh, you know. 
Gwen waved a hand. Attending art shows, going to his club, and making up numbers at dinner parties, that sort of thing. I gave my attention to stirring another lump of sugar into my tea. I couldn't reply because that was exactly what Jasper had been doing. Except for repeatedly using the Gloucester Road tube station, I couldn't detect anything unusual in his actions. But I wasn't about to give up. My face must have given away my intentions, because Gwen said, Olive, if Jasper is up to something, as you call it, he'll tell you about it, eventually. Will he? The teaspoon jangled against the saucer as I put it down. When has he shared details of his little trips out of London? He told Essie about the hunt he attended. She wrote it up in her column. But those were only a few tidbits about what other guests were doing. Jasper doesn't share what he does in any detail. Have you asked him where he goes when he disappears? Yes, and he always makes some vague comment or changes the subject. He's a private person. He's being secretive. Jasper has always been one to play his cards close to the vest. Yes, but after the winter ball, I thought... I stopped, unable to put into words what I'd hoped. Jasper and I had shared a delightful kiss. In fact, it had been more than delightful. It had changed everything between us. At least I thought it had. We were sweethearts now. I thought that would mean he'd share more with me, but my questions and queries had been left unanswered. Lucas doesn't tell me everything about his cases. Yes, but that's his work. He can't share all the details about his investigations with you, and I'm sure he does take you into his confidence, at least in a general way. That's true. He says I give him a different perspective. Gwen's expression softened, as it always did when she spoke about her fiancé. I floated an idea that had been in the back of my mind for a while. Perhaps it's the same with Jasper. Gwen's eyebrows came together in a frown. What do you mean? Perhaps the situation with Jasper is that he can't speak about what he does. Gwen burst out laughing. A dowager at a nearby table slowly turned her head and scowled at us. Gwen cleared her throat and sat up straighter. Whatever can you mean? Jasper doesn't do anything. The waiter arrived with a fresh pot of tea, and I bit back my response. Jasper didn't go into an office each day, but several small details had made me question if he had some sort of unusual employment. His constant disappearances and the lack of details about his trips out of London were two factors that had prompted the idea. He'd been quite valuable to me over the last few months when my cases had become complicated by murders. He'd put his knowledge down to his love of crime fiction. But I wondered if there was something else there. Everyone seemed to think he did nothing but lounge about his club all day and attend high society events. But I knew he was clever. Much cleverer than he let on. The waiter refreshed our tea, and Gwen reached for a scone. Well, I know better than to try to dissuade you. You'll press on with your own agenda as you always do. Just don't complain to me if he finds out what you've been doing and he's angry with you. 
That was Elizabeth Clett reading Murder on a Midnight Clear, the sixth book in my High Society Lady Detective series. So if you're interested in this book, you can find the ebook everywhere, the print book is everywhere, the audiobook is out, it's a little delayed, Audible is running quite slow. So if you're interested in that, I have a link on my website to order it directly from me. And um, I also have a special edition uh, signed numbered hardback available. And I have hand stamped the end pages with snowflakes. So if you are interested in a hardcover edition, uh, you can find that on my website and I'll put the links in the show notes. I'll be back in a few weeks with a new season. Thanks for listening.